0: Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast where we talk with software developers from around the world about the Elixir language and other modern web technologies. My name is Justice Epin, and I'll be your wizard today hosting this brand new season three of our podcast. I am a developer at SmartLogic, a Baltimore-based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. From the Smart Logic team today, we have my colleague and expert wizard mage level ninety nine Eric ostrich Salo. Hello. hello, Eric, my wonderful, marvelous magical co-host. The theme of this season, season three, is working with Elixir, and we're talking with guests about all practical aspects of working with Elixir, including performance, functional programming, and hiring and training. So today, we're gonna be focused a little bit on the andragogical, aspects of Elixir, training Elixir. We're going to touch a bit on functional programming, and we're joined by a very special member of the Elixir community, the organizer of the beloved official conference of Elixir land, Dr. Jim Freeze. Say hello, Dr. Jim. Hello. Dr. Freeze. we are so glad to have you on the show. I've known you since the Elixir Conf that... I I guess I attended my first ElixirConf in 2016, but I don't think we really met until I spoke at ElixirConf in 2018. No, 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 attended ElixirConf 2017 and spoke at 2018 and then emceed at the last ElixirConf this year. It was a really, really good time. Do you think you could just introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you got started with Elixir? Sure, I
1: guess I probably most familiar with um, the Ruby conference and the Ruby community. I hopped on that bandwagon back in 2001. Does that sound right? Those I were three days. Yes. I was one of those guys who went to the first 15 Ruby conferences. I think I stopped going after that. So there was like in and of like three of us that had attended the first 10. So yeah, that's where I got started. And then... 2006 or something, we started a um, Lone Star Rubicon and basically did that for a few years and then we let that go. And then I saw Dave Thomas's nine-minute video on Elixir where he was promoting his new book. That's my first exposure to Elixir. So I took a look at that and it didn't take long to figure out that, hey, this this is the future. So I jumped on board that and I was starting to get a little nervous, looking around, going, all right, this is going to be big. It's going to be bigger than Ruby. And, you know, I'd seen the pieces fall together with Ruby, right? So basically, I think one thing Ruby introduced to the computer world was this idea of community. And the kind of the genesis of that was with the conferences that the guys started back then. And I figured that the way to jumpstart Elixir would be to create... Comp. and so I jumped on board pretty early with that and got called crazy for for, for making a, a conference when the language was barely started, but, but we had a lot of fun anyway, and our very first conference had over 100 people. We had 105 people down in Austin, Texas, and then the second year, we had 256 people. I love that number, and then the third year, we had 550 so, you know, I can't take credit for that, but it was nice to be there to help facilitate. I think we helped facilitate, or maybe we were just along for the ride with that first explosive growth with Elixir.
0: And now we're, we're going to jump into some of the like early days of Elixir and I definitely want to hear more about that. But before we, we do jump into those questions, everybody's going to be wondering what you are a doctor in.
1: <laughs> well... I've heard people say, I'm not the kind of doctor that can do you any good. Not a medical doctor. So I I do have a master's and a PhD and the degree title is electrical and computer engineering. And so I was interested in lasers and fiber optics. So I got my master's. We put some uh, distributed gratings on a fiber optic cable for an input-output coupler. And then we tried to extend that and make a fiber dye laser. But I got all the working pieces together except I was missing one thing, and that was a pump laser. And all we needed was like a two watt pump laser. But back in the day, that was like a couple hundred thousand dollars, and so we didn't have that. Today, you can go down and buy probably the same laser for five hundred dollars. <laughs> but back in the day, we didn't have that. So I turned that into a numerical PhD. Basically, we did a. I created a, what's called the recursive brains function method, which basically lets you compute arbitrary greens functions or i should say greens functions on arbitrary domains and in n instead of uh, the standard moment methods which is in cube
0: wow i think we could do a whole episode of a different podcast just on lasers and i would really really enjoy that <laughs> but it- I know that if we don't stick to Elixir, I'm going to get in trouble with the people who asked us to rename the podcast to Elixir Wizards. (laughs) So, Eric, do you think you could jump into some of these questions about training and ElixirConf? Sure.
2: So I guess let's start with how do you think ElixirConf fits in with the training hiring process of other companies? Because I know a lot of people go to to ElixirConf and does a, a lot of networking and whatnot.
1: So I think we have three basic objectives or things that we're actually fulfilling. It's not like we set out to do this, but I think the number one thing we do is connecting people. So in that sense, we're connecting companies with employees and we're connecting developers who want to share and work together on projects. You know, we see a lot of that with core team working with people and. I think the second thing after connecting is education. So our focus, it's kind of a paradigm shift from what standard uh, languages are out there and OOP languages, even though it's been around for 30 plus years, you know, concepts of these gen servers and other things are foreign to most programmers. And so a big part of what we think ElixirConf is, is education in that aspect. And so we focus a lot of our talks on that and also our training. And we we feel like we've made a lot of progress and the communities that have made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot of education that needs to happen. And then I guess the third thing with what Elixir Comp seems to be doing is, I guess you could call it a a validation. So it's nice to have to live in the internet and kind of this uh, non-physical space. But I think having a physical organization where you see lots of people kind of gives a lot of... Reality to the language
0: and the community itself. Could you dive into a little bit about some of the training that you offer at ElixirConf? Because I went to a training this year; it was really, really a great time with Sophie De Benedetto, who has been on the show and is a really brilliant developer. So, I'd love to hear a little bit about the trainings, and I'd also love to if you just can think of any other sort of tactics that you recommend or strategies for teams that are either onboarding junior developers and want to train them in Elixir or want to train more experienced developers who are just kind of learning a new language?
1: Yeah, those are great questions. So you kind of look at, you know, what's the matrix of what we can teach, right? And the big problem is we don't have enough training opportunities, I don't think. So you kind of need to address beginner intermediate. immediate in advanced, and we have Elixir, we have Ecto, we have Nerves, we have Phoenix, we have LiveView, we have you know distributed systems. So there's all these different classes. So we usually put a CFP out, and people will submit for a six-hour class, which is pretty much a full day. And I and I like so our, my idea on these trainings is we want them to be classes where you sit down and you open your computer up and you actually do code and you run code and you and you learn by doing instead of it just like being an extended lecture, so I think that's one of the, the main concepts and what 's really been interesting is the quality of people that do these trainings, and it is so much work I've developed a training course, and it takes hours and hours of work to develop a training course. If you go back and look at a lot of our training courses, almost every one of them has been hosted by an author or a core team member so you're really getting at elixir comp world-class training and our goal was to keep it inexpensive so the trainers are doing the, they get a little bit of an honorarium it's not much but we do that to keep the price down i remember back in the day when it's done corporate training this would easily cost you a thousand dollars a day for this and we're typically you know in the 200 or 300 dollars for this type of training and i I am a little bit bummed because I never get to go to these trainings. I'm too busy running the conference, but I'm I'm sitting there looking at all the trainings. Man, I would love to go to that because they're so-and-so. He wrote the book on this subject and I would learn so much.
2: Cool. Yeah. You mentioned that having Elixir Conf being like a physical presence of Elixir that's like outside of just the internet is like a great thing. And I want to wholeheartedly agree with that, that like, Going to these Elixir conferences is definitely one of the highlights of my year of like getting to meet all kinds of new people and and see people that I've met before again and whatnot. So the sort of follow-up to the
0: question about the trainings at ElixirConf are outside of ElixirConf, what recommendations can you make for employers who are bringing on new employees, both experienced and unexperienced, as far as getting them up to speed, being productive in Elixir?
1: Well, there's, you know, I'm not an expert in this, but there's a lot of videos. I, I keep going, man, I'd like to make a training video on X, Y, Z. And I go out and I look on the internet and I'm like, oh, here's one already here. And it's about 10 times better than I could do. So <laughs> my recommendation, though, if, is I think the online guides for Elixir are great as a starting point. And then, you know, you get got Exorcism IO, and there's a ton of great videos just for free on YouTube. That's kind of my general recommendation anyone who wants to learn Elixir, there's no reason why they can't just sit down and, and learn it. And there's, there's so much online help and forums and information that there's really no need to struggle in isolation. But it's always nice if you can have someone. So I think eons ago, I was a CTO and we, we hired an individual, an ex-military person who had done some Java programming in high school and was looking for a new career change. And we brought him on board in an internship for about a month. And we just had him shadow someone and do some uh, Elixir programming with some of our senior developers. And man, within a month, we, we hired him. We were paying him a nice salary, probably about five times what he would have got is what the military trained him to do. And I think he's still coding Elixir today. So I think Elixir's got lots of opportunities for people who want to go down the tech
2: path. All right. So how do you uh, challenge yourself to continue to grow and learn as a developer?
1: Well, I probably don't do as enough reading and I should probably read more docs than I do. You know, I always envy those people that, oh, they go off and they do code coders and stuff like that. Because kind of my experiences throughout my whole life is like, you know, I get all these emails and you see all these interesting articles. And I'm like, oh, this is something I need to learn about because I may use this someday and I'll go off and I'll read it. And the reality is I never use it. And I forget it, whatever I read and whatever I learned. And so I kind of changed my paradigm to say, all right, you know, here's an objective that I want to achieve. Like, you know, I want to write this app. And as I discover stuff, oh, I don't know how to do this. Then I will learn how to do it and I will apply it in whatever I'm building. And then I keep moving forward that way. I find it when I'm doing that now that, Things are much more focused. I'm, I'm not distracted. I'm not learning about things that I'll never use, like you know how to make a in fiber distributed laser. Uh, actually, stuff you know I may need to know.
0: I think that that is probably a common experience among a lot of experienced developers. I want to move on to one more question before we talk about functional programming, which is. So you already mentioned the Dave Thomas book, but I was going to ask you, is there something that you've read or attended outside of ElixirConf that has been really valuable or impressive in your mind lately that you, you would like to plug? Yeah, well, all roads lead to
1: ElixirConf, right? So <laughs> not that I can think of offhand. I mean, it's really nice to have things like uh, the Elixir Radar. I right? that's a that's a great resource to see things coming through there. I really appreciate the local communities. I see a lot of good talks going on in local communities, uh, Twitter, you know, also on Twitter. And I'm like, yeah, if I had one wish, I would be to live near Sasha so I could hear, you know, his talks. He's always given some good talks.
0: You know who I'm talking about, Sasha Yurich? Yeah, it's hilarious that you mentioned Sasha because in my hand I'm holding my copy of Phoenix in Action, <laughs> which Jeffrey Lessel gave to me at elixirconf this year and signed and has a forward by sasha yurik so that is my resource plug eric do you want to jump into some questions on functional programming or any follow ups that you have
2: sure so i guess maybe we can start with some basic definitions as you see it so like what is functional programming how do you define it what do you think distinguishes it from other programming paradigms
1: Wow. You know, so I guess there's the working definition of functional program, programming, and then there's the, uh, you know, I guess the academic definition of functional programming. And as I understand it, Erlang is not a functional or doesn't meet all the, the requirements of a functional programming language, although that's what we call it, right? So my, I was first introduced to functional programming just kind of ad hoc eons ago with OCaml. And you know, from my perspective back then, I was using Ruby and other things, and they were coming at from, hey, look, this is how you, um, you know, there's no loops, and this is how you add a number. You just keep you keep adding one to itself or something. <laughs> it was just, they didn't make a very good argument in my mind for why I should adopt it. But roll the clock forward. To me, I think functional programming, we think about immutable data structures. We talk about, you know, pure functions and with uh, Erlang and Elixir, these lightweight processes. To me, those are some of the key components of a functional program. And once I figured that out, it kind of took to it right away because from my training, you know, if you've gone to engineering school and special electrical engineering, everything's a block diagram with an input arrow and an output arrow. And so, basically, it's a perfect mindset for functional programming, which is essentially follow the data. You know, data is going to come into a function. You don't necessarily know what's in that function. It's going to get transformed, and it's going to come out of that function. And so, with these functional block diagrams, it's a great way to look at your program. And Basically, it's just data being transformed you know, from your fingertips and the keyboard all the way to the screen on your monitor
0: is essentially is the way I think about it from the big picture. So, Jim, could I ask you to expand on this a little bit? Because I feel like you're skimming on to something that I want to hear about, which is, you know, especially for someone who is maybe like you were, were, coming from the Ruby background, same as me, and and I think Eric, too, we all come from Ruby backgrounds. Why should someone coming from that Ruby, like object-oriented background, think seriously about functional programming, like what will be the benefit to them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I used to teach Ruby to everyone at my previous company and they would fly me around and I would teach it. You know, Ruby had a lot of nice things and IRP was really nice, but I also had to teach people how to program object-orientedly and first thing you got to realize, I'm a, I'm a big dummy. I really don't know anything. I'm not like Sandy Metz who's written a nice little book on this. But I would come to a screeching halt in a real hurry on how to answer people's questions. When you create a class and you do a deaf and I'm like, I'm already lost, right? It's like, okay, I'm sorry, I don't know what the best way to tell you to to handle this. Do I do I make it an instance variable? Do I pass it in? It's just a paradigm that to me it's kind of icky in my mind. There's so many things you have to have various opinions, and you have to have business excellence, so to speak. It's just kind of muddy in my mind whereas with like functional programming okay i don't have these questions right i i know that every every function is going to have to take all of its arguments right that's just the way functional programming works i don't have to ask these questions i don't have to try to put it in a, a member or instance variable or anything like that so that's one of the big things that i think functional programming is is it answers a lot of questions or it removes questions that on how to set your code up that you wouldn't have.
0: Mm. And when you were first transitioning to a functional paradigm, what was the biggest hurdle for you to grasp?
1: I think probably the, my biggest problem was my own preconceived ideas. And it's this or it's that or it's recursion. So you kind of have to like not have preconceived ideas or do a little more reading, I think. But like my first experience with Elixir, I'm, I'm writing some simple code and I'm writing, you know, dev, hello, blah, blah, blah. I was playing around with it and I wasn't playing around with it for more than five minutes. And I'm like, I'm getting this error. And it's like, or a warning. And it's like, you know, you're using this very vari- you 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 define this variable in your in your function de- definition, but you're not using it. <laughs> and at that point the light bulb went on. I'm like, man, Ruby never told me that. <laughs> And I was writing this code. I'm like, this is a simple code. I can't make any mistakes. How can I make this mistake? Right? It's like your eyes open. It's like, wow, how many mistakes I'm making? That You know, I don't have a compiler to tell me this kind of stuff. It, it was awesome to to see that. So, again, you know, someone like myself who's just constantly making mistakes when they code, dumb mistakes, where, you know, an interpretive language can't pick them up. I love this about Elixir. I, I don't think there's been more than one instance in the last four or five years where I made some mistake that the compiler couldn't tell me about. It's just great. I had that happen to me all the time and, and Ruby was like, oh no, what did I do? And it would take me ever for, to find it.
2: Yeah. I want to, I guess, give a shout out to the Elixir compiler as well. It's got some pretty great errors that tell you exactly what you're doing wrong.
1: Yeah. Right. And I don't know if that's a function of FP or not, right? it's probably not. But it is a piece of elixir, I think, for a lot of people. If they're coming from an interpretive language, it's it's really nice to have.
2: Yeah, I guess it's more of a compiled versus interpreted, I guess, because I know like Rust has an excellent compiler as well, and same way like Elm. Right. I guess I would jump in with
0: like an early aha for me with Elixir and Phoenix was the idea of like pipelines and data pipelines and sort of being able to like reach into your your modules and your logic and just uh, it's just sort of it's easier to reason about because there's a clear path between where the data is coming in and what the sort of like end return value is going to be.
1: And that's something that's developed over time and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean that's that functional block diagram, the data flow. When I first started programming, the super smart guy, my manager, he taught me especially in debugging but in coding, follow the data. Right. And I think if functional languages make that explicit, that it's all about data and data transformation
2: and in the pipelines really, really help with that. In all right. So what's your favorite thing about functional programming? Hmm. Well, my favorite thing right now is LiveView. Okay, go on. Is that, <laughs> that like, <laughs> go
0: on? <laughs> I, be, because and I bet Eric actually has some things to say about this because, I mean, it's empowered by functional programming, right? Well, by, so, go
1: ahead. Yeah, I'm cheating on that one. But yeah, you know, so it, I'm going all in on LiveView. I'm running an app right now that I'm only doing REST where I have to. And there's just, just a couple places. Everything else is LiveView. I'm kind of doing this as a test just to see how far I can take it and what it does with user experience. But this would not be possible without Elixir, without Phoenix, and without the Erlang ecosystem, the beam underneath. You know, people have tried to copy LiveView and other systems, but I'm not sure how that's going to turn out because they don't have the underlying processes. They they can't handle concurrency the way uh, Elixir can. And I don't think they're going to be able to get the mileage out of their systems. Especially those that are using threading, and a lot of these are, are, are really kind of cheap hacks that don't work. Plus, you added that all the great uh, features that uh, Chris and Jose have added to LiveView. Just it's unbelievable how much you know design's been going into that. And they now have components in LiveView, so it's, it's it's pretty sweet. So it's kind of a new way to program, and I'm, I'm like essentially writing desktop apps in the browser, um, and so. I'm kind of curious to see where that's going to end up.
0: That I think is a great place to segue into our closings. We like to give you time to make any plugs or asks for the audience, any shameless self-promotion that you like. We want to give you that time to do that now. Of course, ElixirConf and any other projects that you might have that you want to share with the audience?
1: Yeah. So I think, Everyone knows about Electric Conf, and that's going to be next year back at the Gaylord Rockies, which was a super awesome venue. I think you can attest to that.
0: It was quite nice. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to another great year there. And then I'm actually currently looking for the 2021 location. hope to have that resolved in the next month. Put your votes uh, in now if you, if you have any p- particular place you want to go. <laughs> And then uh, in April, the so 27th, 28th, 29th, I think that's right, is ElixirConf EU. And we're back in Warsaw. So that was a great venue. We had a lot of fun in Warsaw. And that's our basic thing. We're gearing up for that right now. There's a trainer CFP open. If you want to do training and you want to do that in Europe, in Warsaw, you can go to the elixirconf.eu website and submit that. And then we'll be opening up the CFP here soon as well.
0: Okay. Dr. Jim Freeze, thank you so much for joining us today on Elixir Wizards. Can I be an apprentice? i think you are a what did i say eric was it level 99 mage i think you're a level 99 mage as well (laughs) (laughs) dr freeze thank you so much for joining us this has been another episode of elixir wizards with smart logic my name is justice eaton i'm joined by my co-host eric ostrich join us next time for more magical discussions on our favorite programming language elixir We'll